Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is Wednesday, February 26th, 2020. I'm Shannon, and I am here with Stacy, Mika, and Natalia. And we are here to highlight authors of color. So recently, I was looking at kind of my just overall reading, and I realized that I don't read as diversely as I might. So I wanted to look at authors that I haven't heard of before, authors that really are, you know, making names for themselves, but that just are kind of outside of my regular um, reading purview. And so Stacy and Mika and Natalia decided to join me in this little chat, and we are going to recommend some books for you. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. All right. So I am going to start us off, followed by Mika, then Stacy, and Natalia will finish off the round. So my first pick um, is defined as Liberty, by Liberty Hardy from Book Riot as the best book of both 2019 and 2020. And Ooh. there's a reason for this. <laughs> so this is Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed. And this came out on the very last Tuesday of 2019. And so it was like too late for a lot of people's 2019 lists, but not technically a 2020 list. And so it just didn't get the notice that so many of us wish it had. Um, this is a phenomenal read. I want everyone to like glom onto it and fall in love with it and understand its greatness. But I don't know if they will. <laughs> so Such a Fun Age is the story of Amira and Alik. And Amira is a young black woman. She is working as kind of a, I would call her a nanny, but she says no, that she's just a babysitter. And she also does um, another kind of part-time job that isn't integral to the story. So she is a sitter for a little girl named Briar. And Briar's mom is Alix. And Alix is a white woman who sort of has created her own kind of online brand. And she has this like, kind of big like following of people who really think that she's, you know, very smart, very stylish, um, that she has the perfect life. And so she's one of those kind of, you know, influencers that so many people um, kind of have glommed onto online. So one night there is a problem at, at home and Alix calls Amira and says, oh my gosh, there's all these things going on. Can you please come and take Briar out of the house for a little while? And so Amira is a little bit reluctant. Like it's a Friday night. She's been at a party. She's not really like ready to babysit, but she says, okay. So she goes and picks up Briar and she takes her to this like upscale grocery store. I don't know why it's like a good idea to take a kid to the grocery store, like in the middle of the night, but I guess like where else are you going to take a two-year-old? Um, so they go into the grocery store and while they're there, they're stopped by a security guard who believes that Amira has kidnapped Briar because it's a white child with a black woman in this like upscale neighborhood. And he thinks that there's something wrong with this. This little confrontation is videotaped. And because of this, 
people's lives are, are kind of like thrown into the eye of the media and the world. But it takes a little while because Amira doesn't want to share this video. Like this is a horrible thing. She doesn't want it to get out. She just wants to kind of like go about, you know, living her life. But Elix is so distressed by the fact that this happens that she decides that she really needs to like make it up to Amira. But she can't. Like this is, you know, a huge systemic problem. Like you can't make up for it. And some of the ways in which Alix tries to befriend Amira and prove that she is not like a horrible racist person um, are just are, are pretty cringy. And yet, I think it's so important that you know, people realize that like your you know what you might think of as like a good deed or the right thing to do like doesn't always come off the way that you intend it. This is not a heavy book like it deals with some really heavy topics of race and class and the sort of um inequality of, of power that exists between employer and employee but it's not written in a heavy-handed way so you're not like reading this and feeling like oh my gosh this author has an agenda that you know she's cramming down our throat um instead she is just telling us the stories of these two women and how their lives intersect. And, you know, nobody is the hero and nobody is the villain. These are people who are very three-dimensional, very, very real. You know, these are the kind of people that we all know in our everyday lives. And I appreciated that so much about this book. So I hope that if you haven't already read this, if it isn't on your list of things that you're hoping to read in 2020, um, maybe you could add it because it is so spectacular and definitely deserves like more love and attention than it's getting. So this is Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed and it came out in December of 2019. Oh, and I also have to say that Briar is amazing. Like I'm not a child person, but there's just something like so lovely about the relationship that she and Amira have. Um, there's just like so many great things about this book. I'm adding this to my TBR. I'm afraid this whole episode is going to be dangerous for me. <laughs> so, Yeah, this was fantastic. I, I loved it. It's not very long. It's like nine hours in audio. Um, it's just a quick, informative, like delightful read. So my book is by Piper Hugley. And, um, it is a, the story is called a sweet way to freedom. And it was in this really wonderful anthology that came out celebrating, um, celebrating Juneteenth, which is June 19th. Um, it's a day when like, I believe it celebrates like the emancipation or, or it's like in, in Texas, it's a big day in Texas when Texas freed the slaves, if I'm not mistaken. So, but, um, you can only get the story on its own now. But this is about a teacher named Missouri Baxter, and she gets pregnant. She, and she has nine months to convince this kind of ne'er-do-well guy that, um, like, she really doesn't want anything to do with him, and he wants to be with her. But he's not really necessarily ready to give up his kind of playboy ways, I'd say. Um, and so he's got nine months to kind of get his act together. And what I really enjoyed about the story itself is just that it's such a wonderful kind of testament to um, love and forgiveness. Um, it is a historical that um, that we kind of get from that we get from a different lens. Um, so I believe. So that when does book, it take place? I think it takes place in the latter eighteen hundreds. Okay, so like post-Civil War then? Yeah, yeah, post-Civil War. And, um, and it, it dovetails into her Milford College series where all of these, all of her heroines are teachers. They go to this Milford College to be teachers. Um, and she does a lot of research on her historicals. They are really quite wonderful. They are very, like... I'd say, like, uh, very wholesome. Um, 
and just but just full of different plot points that you might have seen in history and Piper Hugley I actually follow her on Twitter she's always posting like different her perspective on different issues and she's always posting about like different factoids of things that I didn't know and that we don't necessarily teach in the school systems when it comes to black history. So, um, so I like her a lot and I definitely would recommend her for sure. Are her books, they tend to be like novellas or are they full length novels or both? Um, I think they're more on the novella side. Okay. The book again is a sweet way to freedom by Piper Hugley. I feel like this anthology came out a couple years ago because this story specifically has been on my radar for a little while. Um, is that it accurate? Did. Yeah, I, yes. I remember. I feel like it came out just a couple years ago. I'm like, oh my god, I have to have this story. So you can't buy the anthology anymore, but you can get the you can get the individual stories. What okay. happened to the anthology? Just like went away? Um, yeah, I think they were just doing it like for a short time. Oh, okay. So, yeah, there was like a time. There was like a time. <laughs> amount like a time count on it okay so people who have followed this podcast for a while will not be shocked at all that the book that i am most excited to talk about well it's a duology and Mm -hmm. it's by i know it's by justina ireland i'm sorry i don't think you've ever mentioned this book oh my gosh i know ever (laughs) (laughs) and it's the dread nation um duology i'm calling it a duology i don't know if that's what she called it but Um, The first book is Dread Nation, and the second book is Deathless Divide. And I love me a good zombie tale. And when you have a kick-ass heroine in it, it just sort of makes everything better. And when you add alternate history and a good education in just racism and inequality, it just, not that I like reading about racism and inequality, but when you read about it packaged in a way that is so... I don't even know. These books are something like extra special. So these books are about Jane McKean and she is born um, just at the time when the dead begin to rise during a battle in the civil war. And that basically changes everything for everyone because once the dead begin to rise, you know, the North and South sort of forget that they're fighting each other because they have a much bigger problem now which is that uh, they're being eaten by their fellow soldiers. So all of a sudden, priorities shift. And so that's when the alternate history sort of begins, because what happens is slavery is abolished, but there is a new um, law enacted. And I am blanking on the entire name of it, but basically it says that both um, the African-American and Native American people will kind of be trained in the art of fighting the undead so they can protect the white inhabitants of the United States of America. So you can kind of see where this is going. So these different training programs are established to teach people how to protect white people. And so Jane McKean goes off to um, Maryland and she's going to Baltimore and she goes to this very prestigious um, school to be trained in the art of both um, killing the undead and also being a companion to a white woman of quality. So basically she has to try to figure out um, how to both um, kill the undead, but also the arts of refinement, like how to uh, use silverware properly and drink tea appropriately so that she can both be a kick-ass zombie killer and a lady's companion. So there's a lot of confusion for Jane McKean because she just wants to kick ass and take names. She doesn't care about all of the more gentle arts. And Jane just cannot, you know, stay in her little school, you know, behind the walls. She has to go out and protect people from the undead. And she has to kind of get involved in things that lead to disastrous consequences for her. And she overhears things she should not and thus begins an epic adventure that takes her across the country, um, that teaches her about um, friendship and valor and just, you know, betrayal. And she learns so many lessons because of this, of this thing that happens. So both of these books explore um, Jane McKean and her life and 
Um, what I love about these books, I don't want to give anything away because they're just the most special thing I've ever read basically. But what I love about these books is Justina Ireland weaves into them so many important, um, messages that are relevant in today's society, um, you know, with, with politics and just, you know, sort of racism that's very sort of built into everyday aspects of life. Um, but then there's beautiful things. There's found family, there's friendship, there's, um, there's different types of, um, sexual representation. There's, um, some disability representation and none of it is heavy handed. None of it is preachy. You know, it's just, it's what she writes. So she basically is able to write these books that represent so many different things and lead to a very satisfying ending, um, with zombies. So, um, if you enjoy a good zombie tale, if you like alternate history, if you, <laughs> if you like, you like if you like cats, um, <laughs> So there's just so much to love about these books um, and uh, ignore that they say young adult um, as their genre classification, because I would not categorize these books as young adult at all. I, I mean, I, I just think they're some of the best books written out there. So these books are Dread Nation and Deathless Divide by Justina Ireland. Deathless Divide just came out on February 4th that you have to read them in order because it is a continuation of Dread Nation. And they are so kick-ass. Everyone needs to read them. It's true. So the first book I'm going to talk about is probably one of the first, I guess, urban fiction authors I read when I was very young. And I have enjoyed every book I have read by this person. And what I really love more than anything is how he can portray um I don't know if this is going to sound bad but how he's able to portray men and women it's like more than anything I think he gets into character in such a way that he can just write six first person characters and they're all different so this is Cheaters by Eric Jerome Dickey and this book is about, you guessed it, the game of love. And it's about, you know, a group of six different people. And we get this story told by multiple points of view, which I love. I love multiple points of view, multiple narrators um, telling, you know, part of the same story and seeing them come together in however uh, a way the author decides to bring them together. So these are six different people. One of them is married. Uh, Darnell is married to his wife and he loves her and he's been faithful to her uh, from forever, but it's getting harder and harder and harder for various reasons. Uh, one woman, Shantae, she finally feels like she found the best man she could have ever found. He's wonderful. He's everything. He checks all her boxes until the day that his wife and kids knocks on her door. Oops. Whoa. Um, Stefan is a really cool guy, but he's kind of stuck because he's following in his dad's footsteps. He's a love him and leave him type of guy. He's not really, you know, he's not dishonest, but he's a lover and love him and leave him. And it seems like maybe he wants to change this. And then Jake, he's a player, but his, his mind is like in, in, he lives in La La Land. He kind of just like goes through life. So all of these people, this story is about these people and how their story evolves and, you know, how it's, I think it's really cool how at first none of them know each other and then they all end up interconnected and not in the way that you'd expect. Because, you know, you read a book like Cheaters and you're like, oh, well, maybe, you know, one is, you know, they, they interconnect in a love way and they do, but not romantically, but more as friends and how their lives end up intersecting is really cool. So I really enjoyed this book because it was about love. It was about friendship. It was about morals. And it also touches a lot about how a lot of us follow in the footsteps of what we see as children. And we also have those kinds of expectations. So this is Cheaters by Eric Jerome Dickey. I suggest any book this man writes. I, I really love, love, love his style. I have never read him, but... I may have to give him a chance. You must. I love his He'll be on my towering friends. TBR. Right. I don't think my TBR is towering anymore. 
I think, is it a castle? Maybe. (laughs) So I'm going to talk about my next book. But before I tell you what it is, I have to tell you what it isn't. So the title (laughs) is The Farm, and the author is Joanne Ramos. And I've heard this described in two different ways. Neither way feels accurate to me. So this is not a dystopian novel. This is not a medical thriller. This is contemporary fiction um, with some elements of sort of underhanded um, things that people are doing, like some kind of gray ethical areas. But I don't feel like this is dystopian, and it's certainly not a thriller. Um, I read a lot of thrillers, and and this just isn't one. So this is the story of Jane. And Jane has come to the U.S. from the Philippines in hopes of a better life for her and her infant daughter, Amalia. And she lives with her cousin. Um, They live in a, a dormitory where you rent beds by the night and so you sleep like you know 10 people to a room and this is how a lot of women are able to work in the U.S. and still send money home to their families um, back home. So Jane is kind of she used to work in like an assisted living place. She's out of a job now. She's not really sure what she's going to do and then she hears about this place called Golden Oaks. And Golden Oaks is this very ritzy, um, very exclusive building where women go to live for a number of months. And it's a place for surrogates. So there are hosts who carry babies and clients who want babies. And the woman who runs this building kind of matches them up and helps to create families. So Jane becomes a host, and it's, like, in a lot of ways, it's a good experience for her. Like, she eats well, um, she lives, you know, in, in somewhat of a luxurious style, all of her medical bills are taken care of. Like, in a lot of ways, it's, it's good. However, she's separated from Amalia, and she has pretty much zero control over her body and her pregnancy. So that is is a problem. We also meet Reagan, who is a white woman who is also a surrogate. And Reagan is a little bit adrift, kind of like Jane, but obviously in a very different way. Like she's just sort of adrift because her parents don't approve of her wanting to be a photographer. Like they want her to do something else. And she doesn't want to do that. So she's come to what they call the farm in order to have a baby, get some money, and hopefully break away from her family. We also meet May, who is a Chinese-American woman who is in charge of the farm. And you kind of see what prompted her to create it. And all the things that she does in the name of, of profit and how profit has sort of taken away many of her ideals and her need to sort of achieve the American dream and be successful and be well thought of has sort of taken away the things that should matter to her. Um, And so it raises a lot of questions in terms of like, what happens when you're carrying someone else's child? And what if you don't know whose child you're carrying? Like how honest do those in authority like need to be with you? if you enter into an agreement like this. Um, How much is owed to you? How much is owed to the client? And when I say owed, I don't necessarily just mean financially, but ethically, morally, um, emotionally, like how much is is owed to any people who are a part of of this whole situation. Um, It's a quiet, kind of slow moving story. It's not like chock full of, of high action. It's more of a, a character study of these women and how they, how they deal with kind of the hands that they've been dealt. And can they find a way to make these situations work in a, a positive way 
for themselves. So if you go into it expecting something like super fast paced, I think you'll be disappointed. If you're looking for a giant twist to like really wow you, I think you'll also be disappointed. But if you pick this up and really allow yourself to fall into the story and examine the questions that the author kind of puts to her readers, um, it's, it's a really worthwhile piece of fiction. Um, it came out in May of 2019 and I don't, I don't hear a lot about it. Um, so I don't feel like it, it gets as much attention as perhaps it should. And that might be due to its marketing. You know, people are, are really talking it up as, as something that it isn't. And I don't know that that does it any favors. So this is The Farm and it is by Joanne Ramos. Adding this to my TBR as well. Thanks, Shannon. You're welcome. (laughs) My book is called Witch Mark by C.L. Polk. Yes. Yes. And I have been telling Stacy that she needs this book in her life. Um, It's true. The book is, it takes place kind of on an alternate or in a fantasy, in a fantasy world, I would say. Um, and it is delightful. It's very like steampunk vibe. So the, the main character miles is currently working as a psychologist. Um, and he's working in a hospital with, and he's treating patients, soldiers who have come back from the war who are, um, suffering from PTSD. And, um, and, Miles has quite a few secrets, um, one of which, which is talks about in the beginning of the book, but he, he, he wants to stay hidden for a very good reason. Um, magic is kind of rationed out in, according to class. So if you are in the upper class, you have all of the, you can use your magics at will much to the expense of the lower classes. Um, And if you are in the lower class and it is shown that you have some magical abilities, bad things might happen to you. Um, Miles ends up meeting this other man who is, um, who is all kinds of, of secretive and everyone says that he is very dangerous. His true self, his true nature is very dangerous. And there's lots of like folklore and mystery and mythos surrounding that. And, um, but there, but there's something happening with these soldiers who are coming back from the war that they are, they are turning on their families or anyone that they, they live with and they are saying that they are hearing voices and they can't make things stop. And so they're murdering like their entire families and then, and then often are killing themselves. Um, and Miles wants to figure out what is going on, but he's under a lot of pressure because they want, um, the hospital is basically saying you need to figure out who in this group of soldiers who has come back and who are suffering greatly, we need the beds, we need the hospital beds. So you got to figure out who you're going to release. And none of them are ready to be released. And so there's like this whole like helplessness of trying to like do the right thing, but you're being thwarted by the hospital and then trying to do the right thing. And you're being thwarted by literally everybody else. And, um, and, and having to figure out a murder mystery to boot and figure out what happened. Um, and my favorite part of this book is that it's just like a lot of people riding on bicycles. It is so delightful. It is um, like there's, there's all these traffic rules for bicycles and it's great. Um, and there's magic and mayhem and so much fun. So such wonderful character development and the sequel to this book um, has just come out in February. So um, it came out on Valentine's Day, I believe. And so um, I, I'm just really excited. I think that C.L. Polk is a, she is an amazing author 
and writes just this of all these really lush evocative descriptions and i love everything that she has um that she has done with this book and so um if you get the chance and if you love all of these things or if you only like one of these things i still think you should read witch mark by cl folk Witchmark, uh, yes, and then Storm Song, and I have Storm Song here. Um, I read Witchmark uh, before it came out, and really, really loved it. Um, it's just a very charming story. It is so like the, charming. The, the world is different from ours, and yet, like, there are some major similarities as well. Um, it's and it's just, definitely like a dark world, but it's not. It's, it's not, not a, a hopeless world. Right. Like, you know how you read a lot of hopelessness in some of these, the stuff? It's very charming, and it's, it is delightful. A Dark World with Bicycles. Yes. I yes. will say that if you read Witchmark, it is best if you don't wait two years to read the sequel. Um, <laughs> because I tried to read Storm Song, and I was, like, really confused. So I have to go back and reread Witchmark so that I can um refresh myself because you know there's a lot of books between then and now and i i was a little little mystified by some things so that's on me more than you know that it than the sounds books themselves. like it sounds like it's not going to be a hardship though to go back and revisit no. so so i have some things in my life that make me so happy and Good. Two of those things are food and wine. And thanks to Shannon, I was able to find an author who has written one book about food and one book about wine. So I'm really excited. So I just finished and loved with every single fiber of my being Kitchen Chinese, a novel about food family and finding yourself by Ann Ma. And I have to tell you, I thought that I would pick this up um, and just kind of read it, you know, like, Oh, okay. I'll read this. It's um, I haven't in the past been a huge fan of Chinese food. Um, I just like other types of food a little bit more, but let me tell you after like reading, um, a few hundred pages of all the delicacies of China, I sort of want to like jump into a vat of food and just like eat my way out of it. Like it was, <laughs> oh my God, it was, I mean, all these descriptions, I kind of died a little and I was very hungry. So this book is about Isabel and Isabel is um, Chinese American um, and she lives in New York city and she views herself as American she eats Chinese food at home and stuff like that, but she sees herself as a very American person. But she goes through all these hardships um, in her life, and things are sort of imploding. So she decides, um, with the help of her best friend, that she's going to move to China and move in with her sister, Claire, who is a very high-powered attorney and now is practicing over in Beijing. So Isabel and Claire don't really talk much. And they're very different. And when Isabel arrives in China, Claire has like morphed from like this sort of very intensely intelligent, nerdy woman into like the socialite belle of the ball. She sort of acquired a British accent. She like goes Mwah! when she says goodbye, like a fake kiss. Like she's just a completely different person. She's very chic and she is like the most sought after thing in Beijing. And Isabel feels very much like a failure in comparison. She is looking for a job. She doesn't have a boyfriend. She doesn't have a life. And she's very lonely in this culture where when she is seen on the street, she blends in with everybody in the city because of her looks. But in her soul, she feels American. She barely speaks any Mandarin. Um, she speaks what is called kitchen Chinese, which means that she can barely like kind of converse and she can order food. That's about it. And 
So she ends up kind of going on this sort of inadvertent quest of self-discovery and kind of learning more about herself, about her sister. Um, And it's just this book where basically everything revolves around food. Um, And it's great. And, you know, Isabel doesn't always make wise choices. She makes some really stupid romantic choices in the book. And, you know, she's not perfect and neither is Claire. But through their messy imperfections, they kind of get to know each other again. And they they come to an understanding. And Isabel sort of forms um, relationships in this city where she felt so alien. And this book is all about kind of figuring out who you are, kind of figuring out how to grow up and move beyond the sort of labels that you felt um, family placed upon you um, to kind of figure out who you truly are. There's some lovely light romance in this book, but I would classify this very hardcore women's fiction. And seriously, like this book warmed every, every, chamber of my very cynical heart. Like it was just a really lovely book. Um, it, the, the cultural descriptions of like China and Chinese culture were very, very interesting to me. Um, I don't know much about Chinese culture, so I really liked that aspect of it. I've already told you 50 times. I loved all the food stuff. I love the sister interactions. Um, but I love most of all Isabel figuring out who she is and kind of developing a backbone and developing some strength. And it's just a really good book. So I highly encourage you to pick up Kitchen Chinese, a novel about food, family, and finding yourself by Anne Ma. I love sister books. I know. They're my favorite. So my next book is a gem. Absolute. It's an author I had never read before. And I know that when I read this book, I immediately went and found everything the author read and devoured it. That's how much I loved it. So the name of this book is With the Fire on High by Elizabeth Acevedo. And one really amazing thing about this book is that if you're an audiobook listener, and even if you're not, it's probably going to make you want to be. All of this woman's books, she reads them herself. And she's amazing at reading her own work. Really amazing. You know, sometimes an author reading their own work is great when it's nonfiction, but when it's fiction, you kind of want an actor. You don't necessarily want to hear the author read her her own novel. Um, even even J.K. Rowling, I heard her read chapter one of Sorcerer's Stone, and I was comparing her to Jim Dale. It wasn't nice. <laughs> so she did great. Don't get me wrong, but it, it just wasn't. It wasn't Dale. So this book is about a girl. She's seventeen. She's a senior in high school. Her name is Imani. And she's Puerto Rican. Um, we don't really know where her mom is from because her mom uh, died died while she before she was born or when she was born. I think she died giving birth. And she was raised by her grandmother. Amani is very, very talented in the kitchen. She loves everything cooking. She loves to invent. She loves to, creating, to create recipes. Uh, but there are two issues. The first is that she is very poor. And the second is that she is 17 and she's a single mother. She has a two-year-old daughter and she goes to a special, I guess it's kind of like a magnet school um, she was able to get into or her grandmother was able to get her into, but she's kind of at a crossroads right now because she's, as I said, a senior in high school. She doesn't know what she wants to do after high school. And on top of that, she doesn't really know what she can do because now she has the responsibility of having her child, which is the best thing that has ever happened to her. But at the same time, you know, she was very, very young when she had this baby. And so the only thing that she could see herself doing is cooking. And her dream is to be a chef and would be to go to culinary school. But culinary school is way outside her means because she's not necessarily hugely academic and she doesn't have much money to go around and you know her grandmother raised her and her grandmother's getting on in years so I can't say enough how much I love this book first of all I love books about cooking I love anything about cooking if I see a cooking romance with chefs or any kind of book that has chefs I'm all for it I always say if I hadn't been a musician I would have been a chef I at least before I had a baby I loved to cook 
I don't know what happened. <laughs> but it is so well written and so poignantly told. And I feel that the author gives Imani such a, such a great voice and such a complexity. And, you know, it's, it's a book written about things that we don't really think about. It, it kind of puts in perspective, especially because as time goes by, you forget what it was to be young just because that's the natural order of life. But it puts in perspective how many real life, life-altering and forever-changing decisions we put on the heads of these 17-year-old people that are so young and so impressionable and just one choice that they make, one wrong thing that they do can change their entire life. And I'm not talking just about her having a daughter. I'm talking about school and college and where she's going to go, what she's going to study and what her dreams are. And, you know, and it also shows you, you know, what support can do. And, oh, it's just such an amazing, amazing book. So this is With the Fire on High by Elizabeth Acevedo. Her next book is coming out in April, and I can't wait. I'm so excited. All right. So I wanted to find a thriller written by an author of color because thrillers are kind of like one of the mainstays of my reading life. And, you know, I'm I'm pretty sure that not all the thrillers in the world are written by white people, right? Like that, that just doesn't seem good. Indeed. Yes. (laughs) Ooh, the cat agrees. So I went looking for thrillers and I came across a book that I had been hearing about for the past few years, but just hadn't, um, hadn't paid as much attention as I should have. So this is Bluebird, Bluebird, Highway 59, book one by Attica Locke. And the reason that I didn't pay a lot of attention to this book is I'm not a big, like, you know, ranger fan. Like, I tried to read some of the Nevada Bar books about Anna Pigeon, who's a park ranger, and I just couldn't really get into those. So I kind of thought that that's how um, the Attica Locke books would be, that it would be kind of like a, like a forest ranger And that's just not my thing. But what I didn't realize is that that's not what this is. This is like a police procedural starring a Texas Ranger, which is very different from a forest ranger. And I ended up just really enjoying this book. And I actually plan to read the sequel really soon. So Bluebird Bluebird features a Texas Ranger named Darren Matthews. And he is a black man living in Texas. And as someone who lived in Texas for... Um, seven years, I realized that that's a a difficult thing um, to be black and and living in a place like Texas. So he lives here and he always wanted to leave and he did for a while, but something happened with his family and he had to come home. And so duty kind of called him home. And now he's working as a ranger and he's feeling kind of torn. Like his wife would much prefer that he go into, you know, some kind of, like, less dangerous field, like, maybe he should be a lawyer, like, that would be better, she thinks, but he doesn't want to do that, he's really drawn to helping people find justice, and the way that he feels that he can do that is by being a ranger, but he makes a couple of decisions that put his job in jeopardy, and so he's on suspension, And in kind of a last-ditch effort to save his career and also to find some answers to some questions that he has about why um, Black people are are treated the way they are, not only in Texas, but just kind of in the world at large, he drives up Highway 59 to a small town called Lark. And Lark is very tiny. There's a major division between blacks and whites there. Um, White supremacy runs pretty rampant. And two murders have just taken place there. Um, A black lawyer from Chicago has been murdered and also a local white woman. So Darren begins digging into these crimes and trying to figure out, like, are they connected? Um, If they're not, like, why, you know, they happen so close together? Just like, what's, what's going on here? Um, I love the flavor that this book has, like the, 
there's just something about it that makes Texas in all of its glory, but also all of its kind of backward thinkingness, um, come, it just comes alive in, in such a great way. And we really get to know Darren not only as a ranger, but as a man, like you see his vulnerabilities, his insecurities, but also like his deep commitment to bringing justice to the people who need it most. Um, if you like books like that are written by Greg Isles, um, Bluebird, Bluebird could be kind of a good read-alike for you. These are not like the, you know, 900-page novels that Isles writes, but they're, they're just, they're lovely. They're, the mysteries are really compelling. Um, I thought that I had this one figured out, and I did a little bit, but I did not understand like all of the, the small details that put it together. Um, so it's just really, really fantastic if you are um, a crime reader. I just, I really liked it a lot. This is Bluebird, Bluebird, Highway 59, number one by Attica Locke. And book two came out last year and it's called Heaven, My Home. So this book is actually a, um, it's a nonfiction book. I just want you to sit with that for a minute. Whoa. <laughs> I don't really know what to say about that. <laughs> I like well, nonfiction I sometimes. <laughs> I do too sometimes. I, I just, I don't know that I ever have known you to read nonfiction, Mita. <laughs> when did you do it? <laughs> <laughs> it happens on occasion. <laughs> okay, fair enough. So, so this book is a fabulous book. Um, First, I just want to ask, have either of you heard of something called the Great Migration? I feel like I've heard the words, but I don't remember to what they refer. I would say that that's accurate. Like, I feel like I've read it, like I've seen it mentioned, but I don't know any context about it, like details. So the Great Migration took place during... Um, the 1900s. So I would say probably like, well, I'm old when I'm referring to it as the 1900s, oh. but, <laughs> but I would say probably between like 1910, 1940, probably later even. Um, and it dealt with the fact that um, the Jim Crow laws that were taking place in the South we're making life so hard that um, over oh, six yes. million, yep. over six million, um, I believe it said that six million black people um, migrated, moved from places like Mississippi, which is one of the states that is known for like the most lynchings in the South, um, to uh. places like New York, Chicago. Um, so to like the northern the northern states to have a better life, and so um, so the book that really describes the Great Migration in great detail is called The Warmth of Other Suns by Isabel Wilkerson. I have heard of this, oh. and it is amazing. And I will say, if you buy the audio book, it is actually read by the author. Oh, okay. Um, it it follows three people from three different decades and their families as they move it, as they um go to like different places, as they move from the south to the north, and um and because of the Great Migration, that was like a huge reason for why we had things like the um, Harlem Renaissance and um like that so much of like some of the Southern culture and some of the black culture things that are like cornerstones for some of these states um, was really brought about by a lot of people that moved from the South during that time. And it was a very dangerous, um, the author really kind of details that it was a very dangerous time. Like it was very dangerous to be driving while black, um, you know, they, there are places that are called sundown towns, which means that you don't want to get caught in those towns after sundown because people in Ew. the clan would come um, like to, to harm or kill. And so uh, this book talks about like the bravery of these, of these people um, who decided to make that trek and 
what they did once they got to where they were going. And it talks about a lot about how the great migration has said about like discourse on like, it's, it's um, kind of said about different changes like in art and how it's affected like art and literature and music and, um, and even politics and just all of these different things. So it's really, really good. It's a part, the book really details um, history that frankly just does not get covered in school. Um, you know, I never knew about the great migration until, until I read this book. Um, the author researched this um, probably like over, over 12 years of research she did. And I know that she spoke with, um, she read lots of different articles and spoke with over 1500 people to put, to kind of put the story together. Um, people who traveled, who traveled those roads to get to the North. So anyway, it, it is just, it is quite a, it's quite an amazing read. Um, the tenacity of spirit and the bravery of people who, you know, who left um, to create a better life for themselves and their families is just really an amazing read. And, um, and so I would highly recommend it. And again, the book is called The Warmth of Other Suns by Isabel Wilkerson. Wow. Adding it now. So I am glad that you talked about this. I know. I'm going to shift gears because, you know, Nika was all like educated and highbrow and talking about nonfiction, but I got to go back to my roots here. I got to talk about some contemporary romance because you can't have an episode without. (laughs) And this author is like my new goddess of contemporary romance. Um, Her name is Talia Hibbert and I love her. And um, if you haven't heard of her and you read romance, I don't know what, I don't know. You just need to read her. So the book that I just read So I just read A Girl Like Her, Ravenswood Book One, and this book was everything. Um, It's about a woman named Ruth, and she lives in this small, gossipy town in (laughs) England. And there was something that happened a couple years ago that has sent her fleeing into her house. And um, she has basically been blacklisted in this town. And she's like the town pariah because of this thing that happened. And so she hides in her house and she very rarely ventures forth with her sister to go do specific things like have brunch. But that's it. She stays in her house all the time in her pajamas. Because as we find out, Ruth is on the autism spectrum. And while that doesn't completely define her, Um, she kind of views her life in two sort of chapters before and after. And before, even though she had some, you know, kind of differences in the way that she viewed the world and interacted with people, um, you know, she was mostly a happy person and she was comfortable being out in the world. But now after she is viewed as so incredibly different and as such a pariah, she just can't leave her house. And it's really eroded her self-esteem and self-confidence. Well, then this wonderful new neighbor moves in to the flat beside hers. And, you know, at first Ruth thinks that he is there to um, basically help her because out of pity. But you find out that our hero, whose name I am embarrassingly blanking on, I want to say Evan, but I'm not sure if that's right. You find out that he basically does this for everyone. He, he likes to help people. He's sort of a fixer. He wants to just be kind and caring. And basically through his kindness and friendship, Ruth begins to sort of emerge from her self-imposed isolation and to kind of take steps back into the world because of who he is and because of his kindness and support and friendship and belief in her. And this book is really beautiful and I love it so much. And I love everything culturally about this book. I love how the author sort of weaves the 
heroine's autism into the story without making it like heavy handed and preachy. Um, and you know, I read a ton of romance novels. I read them every day, all day long. And rarely is it now where I actually find the sexy times to be hot and sexy. And this woman can write some smoking hot, fabulous and beautiful sexy times. So, um, I know I, she's a new to me author. Um, She's so good. This is yes, and I don't know. Have you read this book, Mika? I've not I like her- read this one. I've read another one that she wrote that I'm blanking on the title of, but is like about uh, her, the heroine, and then the heroine's like childhood best friend. Ooh, I'll have to read that one too. And oh, well, it's so good. Yeah, and this author is pretty incredible because she sort of just sort of gently weaves diversity into her books without, again, like slamming it over your head. Like I'm writing about diversity, you know, it's just sort of there. And, um, you know, her stories are multifaceted. They're beautiful. There's a lot of character development. Um, but if, if you want a really good story with some really meaningful, sexy times that aren't just like, they actually sort of are there to sort of move the story along instead of just, gratuitous and I just I loved everything about this book from start to finish and it is again a girl like her Ravenswood book one by Talia Hibbert so please read it it's gorgeous I have had it on my list of things to read for a while I have this and I have get a life Chloe Brown yep so the last book I'm going to talk about tonight is by one of my favorite authors who I've actually met in person and she's just as amazing in person as she is on online in her book she has a pretty awesome online presence and i enjoy very much reading her posts and following her on social media she makes me laugh so hard and this is zane uh the book i'm going to talk about is addicted and funny story about zane zane waited until she was a new york times bestseller you know, multi-award winning author and, and actually found, I think she found one of her books on her mother's shelf. And that was when she confessed to her mother, like, so mom, you know, I wrote that book. (laughs) And I, I think that was so funny. It was one of the stories she told us when, when we, when we met her at a book signing. So Addicted by Zane, it's a very popular book. And I think It was made into a movie with William Levy as one of the characters. He's a very beloved actor here in Miami. I I believe he's a Cuban actor in Miami. And he, everybody really likes him. And the movie I actually enjoyed. So this book is about an African-American. She's African-American. Her name is Zoe Renard. And she's a businesswoman. Very successful. Zoe has it all. She has a husband. She's loved him since she was a little girl. Uh, she has, they have three kids together. They're, they have a house. They're financially secure. They both finish school. They have their careers. Obviously, you know, they're, they're in the middle stages of their lives because they have their, their three kids are not babies, but they're not, you know, teenagers. They're, you know, in maybe the seven year itch, but everything looks good except Zoe has a problem. She has an addiction to sex. And finally, Zoe finds a compassionate therapist to talk to. And she, so the story, Zoe is telling her story to the therapist. That's what we're getting. So we're getting this first person narrative. And when I tell you that it grabs you from page one, I mean it. It's, this is one of the few books that I started reading at 11 o'clock at night before bed. And I didn't go to sleep until it was over. And this, the story about Zoe's addiction is so compelling and it's, it is compelling and sad and happy and wonderful and terrible and all, I mean, this is the kind of book that makes you feel all of the things good and bad. And you, you learn so much about addictions and how you can be addicted to anything. And, and I guess how an addiction can really just make you throw your life away. So to see what happens to Zoe and her beautiful life, read Addicted by Zane. I really liked this book. 
All right. Well, that does it for us this evening. Thank you to Mika, Natalia, and Stacy for chatting with me about all sorts of diverse books this evening. And thanks, as always, goes out to Christine for all of her editing. And of course, I want to thank each and every one of you who has joined us for our many discussions of great books here on Book Bistro. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, It kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. Thank you.